I want to take just a little bit of time to wrap up the sermon we talked about last week. Uh, we were dealing with our fifth uh, set of sermons here, uh, words, uh, upwards. We were talking about the word anti-secularism. I messed it up again. But we were just talking about what it means to not be in the, be in the world but not of the world, what that whole concept means. And so let me read this scripture, and uh, we will uh, talk about the kind of wrap up this idea. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We talked last week kind of just looking and digging deep into this verse, and we were looking at what it means to love the world, about having a dedicated desire, and looking at, at how we see love, having this, this consuming, dedicated desire for someone, and then the idea of where we make our investments, especially those four main investments that we have as humans, the investment of our time, the investment of our material possessions, the investment of our mental energies, and the investment of our emotional energies. And so the Scripture is telling us not to invest those precious things into things of the world, but to invest them into God and in loving God. We talked about the battle lines, that we are assailed by the world, that the lust of our flesh, these desires of this broken nature that comes from within inside of us, the lust of the eyes, the desires of those things, we see the attacks from outside as we see and live in this world and desire things of this world, and then the pride of life, that mental attack that we undergo as we think of ourselves too often and we often are concerned about what others think of us likewise. And we were encouraged to fight this fight with the world because, it, as the Scriptures teaches, that this world is a brief world, that it's, a, it's brevity versus eternity. And so John is instructing the people, don't invest in something that's not going to last. Invest all your resources, those precious resources, in something that's eternal, and that being the love of God. Well, what I want to do today, that we kind of dug into that section in 1 John chapter 2 last week. And I, I want us to see uh, this kind of bigger biblical view of the Christ followers. And I kind of use that. Uh, I'm trying to rephrase the word Christian in a whole lot of different ways, what it means to be a Christ follower, because Christian in the world we live in now has a very broad definition, and it can mean an awful lot of things. And I just want to be clear when I say Christian, a person who follows Christ, uh, Jesus. Um, and so the biblical, the bigger biblical view for you and I as a Christ follower when it comes to the idea of a relationship with the world. We looked in depth at that First John teaching and the bigger picture as it relates to what Christians are with the world. And I hope to basically to briefly display the scope of the New Testament teaching on this subject so we become really conscious of the environment in which we now live day in, day out, that this isn't just something contained here in First John, that there's a much broader scope, biblically speaking, about how we're supposed to relate to the world that really helps us live in this world, to be in the world and not of the world. And so the first thing that we need to see is there is a raging war. We are at war. We are in a fight. Um, and it's a spiritual war, fair. Now, most of us, when we hear that idea, I'm afraid, maybe think spiritual warfare. We think of, you know, casting out demons. We think of TV evangelists who, you know, wave their hand and people go falling all over the stage and, and, and all kind of supernatural things. But I think the spiritual warfare we have is a more daily battle. 
And, and it's really a battle to, one, put ourselves in submission to God, to say, God, you're in charge, you be the king, you be God, you be the Lord, I won't be, you be in charge, I'll do what you say, I'll be your servant. And so daily we submit ourselves to God, and daily we must fight to avoid this love of the world because we live here and not to be caught up in the things of the world. The Bible reaffirms that this war is a raging war in verses like Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle, our fight, our war is not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. When we were even talking about what the definition of world means last week, I will remind you that we said this, that the word, I, the idea behind the word world used there in first in the Bible in these instances is the organized evil system with its principles, its practices, and under the authority, all under the authority of Satan, which includes all teachings, ideas, cultures, attitudes, activities, etc. that are opposed to God. Our struggle, our raging war is in a spiritual realm against the forces of the world. And so don't be deceived to think that we're not in a fight. We as Christians, as Christ followers, are in a war. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers of this world to abstain from those fleshly lusts, those battle lines that we talked about, because they wage war against your soul. This is a spiritual fight that we're in, and it is a raging war. And we must fight against those battle fronts, the lust of our eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of our life, because it's waging war against our soul. So let us not be deceived into thinking that this is peacetime. This is really wartime as we wait for the return of Jesus, who will bring peace when he comes, but has not yet come and done away with all warring. The second idea that I want us to, so don't be fooled. We are in a fight. If you are a Christian following Christ in this world, you're in a fight. The problem with the relationship with the world. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why be in this fight at all? Well, we must realize that, that when we're daily fighting the spiritual battle against the, the impressions of the world on us, we're making a decision. Am I going to be God's friend or God's enemy? Am I going to be on God's side or am I going to be against God? That there is no middle ground here. And the fact of the matter is, if when we put ourselves and get sucked into a relationship with the world and start to love the world, then we become enmity. We can become at enmity or enemies with God. And so that's why we are in this fight, because we're making this decision. And make no mistake, we must pick a side. In this war... In this spiritual war, war between good and evil, between the world and the world to come, and all these things, there is no Sweden. <laughs> there is no country of neutrality. There is no middle ground where you can stand and not throw your hat in the ring somewhere. You know, we must make a choice. There, you can't just, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to get in fight. I'm just going to be neutral. 
There is no neutrality in this war. You must pick a side, God's side or against God. That is the fact of this matter and this war. There is no middle ground for us to stand on. The reality of our relationship with the world. This is where it starts to get kind of discouraging. As we live in this world, there's a reality that we must accept in this war. And that is what is told to us in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, you would, and the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The relationship, if when we decide to have a relationship with Christ, we have destroyed our relationship with the world. That's basically the truth. You're hated by the world. And Jesus tells us not to be surprised that they hated him first. And if we're going to follow him, be like him, promote him, advance his cause, represent him, then the world will also hate us. So don't be surprised when the world dislikes us. The fact of the matter is, and the sad fact of the matter is, there is no playing nice with the world. There's no, amount, uh, there's no amount of accommodation that we can make that will satisfy the world. This is a place I'm afraid the church has made many mistakes over the years. If we will just give in on this point, if we will just accommodate this point, then the world will like us a little bit more. They will accept us a little bit more. They'll stop being mean to us. They'll stop calling us names. They'll start saying how prejudiced we are and how short-minded we are and how stupid we are and how hateful we are. We just need to be kinder and gentler to the world, give in on this small point so that the world will stop beating up on us. And then we give in on that point and they say, no, we need you to accommodate one more. And we need you to accommodate one more. And we need you to give in on one more point. And we keep trying to make amends and peace with the world. And we must realize there is no accommodation we can make of the world. What the world wants from Christians and from the Christian church is total surrender. Just give us, be just like us. Tell us everything we're doing is okay with you. Don't tell us not to do or we shouldn't do or to think about. Don't give us any ideas of consequences and someone being in charge of us. It's either concede or die. That's the way the world looks at us. Sadly, there is no peace to be brokered between the follower of Jesus who belongs to a different world and this world. The war will rage until Jesus comes and puts all things under submission to his feet. And so that is the reality of what our relationship with the world is. No matter how hard we try, we will remain hated. The danger of relating to the world well, what danger are we in if we give in to this, if we struggle with this? Well, there's two really important passages I think I would like to show you. You've all heard the parable of the sower and the soils. Hopefully it's found in Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter. If you haven't read it all, I encourage you to read it. I'm just reading a portion of that. First, the one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, and is, but is only temporary. And when affliction comes and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
This passage is teaching us what we just talked about, that those who receive the word, who commit their lives to Christ, the world comes and attacks them and starts to persecute them and affliction comes upon them. And the person goes, wow, now I'm on the wrong side. I tried to side with Jesus and now the world hates me. And they fall away from the word because they don't want to endure the hatred of the world when persecution and affliction rises because of the truth of God's word. And so we see the world kind of attacking the person who would receive the word and taking it away from them because of this hatred and affliction. Later on, the second, another soil is described. It says, And the one whom the seed is sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This passage shows us someone who lost the battle with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. The very passage that we read in 1 John chapter 2 This is that man who fell in love with the world and lost his love with God because he wanted the things of the world and the deceitfulness of the world. This is the exact thing that John and 1 John is warning against, this this rocky soil where the thorn or this thorny soil where the thorns choke out the word. The real danger with relating to the world is for us to realize the truth that the world assaults the word. It's the world's kind of strategy to remove the truth of the Word from our lives. And it is the Word of God that brings life. It is the Word of God that saves lives. It is the Word of God that comforts, guides, corrects, encourages, and nourishes the Christian. And the world is against the Word because the Word is the power of God in our lives. That's where we get our instructions and our comfort, and the Word is where salvation comes from. We know the truth of the gospel. And so when we start to relate to the world, it attacks the Word that's in us. And that's when we start to go, well, does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible say that or or what? And so we see these attacks. So that's the danger with relating to the world. So this idea, as you can start to see, is very broad about how we relate to the world throughout Scripture. So how are we to react? The world hates us. We must avoid it and struggle with this daily. It is attacking the word of life that comes to us through our Scriptures. What, what are we to do? What attitude should we have towards this world in which we live in? Well, we have some teaching in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks, you know, this passage. If you don't, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's the story of Noah, Moses, uh, Abraham, Gideon, Caleb, Joshua, Sarah, all these great figures of the Bible that we have looked at over our whole childhood. And it tells us about these people who lived in this world, and these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them, And having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth in this world, they didn't belong, is what they're saying. For those who say such a thing make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. That they had, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
and he has prepared a city for them. The fact of the matter is, the attitude that we need is we simply don't belong in this world. We just don't belong. And when we get this attitude that I'm a stranger, I'm seeking a better country than this, there's a better place for me, there's a place prepared for me, there's a mansion waiting for me, there's a Savior waiting for me, I am moving through this world to the world to come, we start to live as we should in this world, not captivated by it, but moving through it. It is an unpopular truth in today's world, and this might be one of the places that the church has made some accommodations, is the Christian's best life is not in this world. Can the Christian have a joyful life, a victorious life, a a blessed life, uh, even in the midst of suffering and persecution and the trials of this world? Yes, he can have all those things, but his best life is the life to come. That's when every tear will be wiped away. And the curse will be done away with, and we will see Jesus face to face. And we just don't belong here anymore. So then that leads to this question. What reason do we have for remaining in this world then? If we're going to be here, uh, I would like to have some reason for putting up with all this hatred, mistreatment, and thinking I don't belong, and fighting this battle every day. Why? What reason do I have for remaining here and, and, and going on? John chapter 17, verses 13 and 20. This is the Lord's prayer. This is the actual prayer of Jesus for us. But I come, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that you may have joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. See? Word, world, at enmity with each other. Jesus gave us the word, they have hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to keep them, keep, take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus isn't even asking for us to be removed, but to remain in this world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. The word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that we may all be one, that they also may be in us, uh, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. What's our reason for remaining? What's our reason for putting our feet on the ground every day and fighting these battles and going out and living in a world that hates us? The Lord's sending. He sent us into this world. What did he send us to do? In the same way he was sent, he's sending us. And I remind you of what Jesus said when he met a man in a tree named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why is he sending us? For the same reason he came. For the same reason he was sent, to seek 
and save the lost. And so every day we put our feet on the ground. We live in a world that hates us. We fight the struggle against these powers and against the, this world so that we can seek and save the lost, those who God is calling out of this world. My final encouragement, the final word on warring with the world. Because when you think about all this and you see the breadth of this across the Scriptures, it can be a little bit kind of depressing. (laughs) People hate us and they're going to treat us bad and there's no accommodation we can make. We're going to have to fight this fight every day and there's no peace here until the Lord of peace comes and we've got to keep on going on going on. Well, what final word does the Bible share with us when it comes to the warring of the world? I will give you two passages, John 16. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome and overcome the world. In 1 John 4, 4, B. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So yeah, it's kind of bad news in some ways what the reality of our relationship as a Christ follower with the world is and the dangers we face with that, the word, the word being assaulted by the world and how we relate to that. But the good news is, the final word is victory. The Lord has overcome the world. And so each day, even now as we live and walk in this world, we walk in victory assured. So let us go and do what the Lord has sent us to go and do so that the world may know and believe in him. Amen.